Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 57 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today we are going to have a it's basically a, a case study testimony, and our survivor that we're featuring is Debbie Seguin from Dallas, and I've known Debbie for over, I think it's been over almost three years, and she has been a very active member in the Flying Free Sisterhood group, and I've also, actually, we've met each other in person in a couple of, actually, it was in one place. It was in Texas, right? Debbie, both yes. times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two conferences, two different conferences in Texas. But anyways, she wanted, she, with her permission, I'm letting you know that she is 57 years old. She said, and she made a really good point and said, it's helpful to know how old the speaker is. So you know where they are in their lives. And I just have, so first of all, welcome Debbie to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And we are going to go through our 10 questions. And she said she's ready to go. So let's just dive in, okay? (laughs) Okay. So first of all, Debbie, how did you meet your husband? And were there any red flags before you married him? Mm -hmm. So I met him at church in January 1986. Um, I had no idea what a red flag even was back then. I was completely naive about anything. Um, so I can't say there was anything that really sticks out. However, you know, now that I'm more knowledgeable about like an, a a typical abuser characteristic, I can see that getting married that August. So we met January of 86 and we married in August of 86. But what I'm realizing is that if we married in August, we had to have been seriously talking about it and planning about it you know, several months before. Mm -hmm. And that's fast. Um, The other thing that sticks out is he was very meticulous about everything, his dress, his truck, his, his, you know, uh, his apartment. But I was a free spirit. And I just thought that was a good thing. I thought that would be a good balance. Um, But it turned out he really wasn't interested in blending or sharing our traits. He was... (laughs) interested in forcing me into his, you know, shape and view of everything. Well, and if he had, uh, if he was kind of a perfectionist or had that everything, you know, has to be perfect. I'm sure he wanted you to also be perfect. Yes, very much so. And I've met a lot of perfectionists in my life and you can be a perfectionist and not try to force other people to do that. So there's a right. lot more going on under the surface. Right. Yes. Very good point. Okay. So what were some of the ways that he emotionally or spiritually abused you throughout the course of your marriage? Yeah. I remember when I first saw the term walking on eggshells, I don't really remember where I saw it in a book or in something, um, but it was very much a light bulb moment. Uh, the the term was just so perfect. My life was constant walking on eggshells. There just wasn't a day that went by when he wouldn't find something, and usually several somethings that I had done. And I'm putting this in quotation marks. Wrong mm-hmm. in his viewpoint. Um, his way of expressing that I had done something wrong for the first 22 years was anger. 
uh, it was like a personal affront to him that I didn't figure out how to do something, quote, correctly. And along with the anger were the heavy sighs, the eye rolling, the body language that said pretty much in every way you are incompetent and lacking. Mm. Um, his favorite question, and this is still very triggering for me, is um, what were you thinking? Can't you think? And I just woke up every morning trying to please and woke up every morning confused because I seemed to be incompetent and I'm unable to um, please him. And I thought that pleasing your husband was being a good Christian wife. So I just always felt like a failure. You know, what strikes me about that question is that it's the kind of question that you might hear a parent asking a child, a, a small child, but you wouldn't, you, I don't think it's right for even a parent to talk to a child like that. But that's, you know, that's what strikes me as he treated you like you were just a child and yes. you were a grown woman and his partner. I just, yeah, that blows me away. All right. So what were some of the coping strategies that you employed? Mm -hmm. So I had brought a lot of fear uh, into my adult life. I, I didn't really realize it at the time. I grew up in a very abuse, abusive environment. I was in foster care and I grew up in a children's home. So lots of rejection, lots of uh, just feeling very vulnerable all the time. And so these co coping strategies, I'm quite sure you know, I was a master at them at that point. But, you know, growing up, if you didn't please the adults in your life, bad things happen. That was my, uh, you know, my mantra running through my head uh, growing up. And I just kind of brought that into my life or into my adult life. Mm -hmm. So my main coping strategies uh, were appeasement um, at any cost. I had to keep this person happy. Um, that entailed constant analyzing of his moods, um, his tone, a lot of preemptive fawning, you know, trying to keep him happy before he ever got to that point. Mm -hmm. I had to sense his tone. I did a lot of apologizing. It was just so exhausting. Um, I did a lot of trying hard to make everything perfect. And since I'm not at all a perfectionist, that was a real accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> But even with that, you know, he still seemed to find the one thing that I had overlooked. I remember it was very confusing. You know, I would do a hundred right things and do them really well, but he would find that one thing and then he would dig into that and he would not let it go until I, I was in tears or, you know, some kind of response from me. Yep. Um, so I just was very confused. It wasn't until really recently that I understood it. it really wasn't about him wanting everything perfect. It was about him creating a scenario where I always lost. Exactly. I always was at fault. I always was lacking in some way. He created that. Yes. So I'm over here, you know, with the premise that, gosh, if I just do all this right, that there's actually an end goal in sight the goal was never that the goal was to make me feel incompetent and he was going to get there no matter what it took. Yes. Oh gosh. I'm so glad that you shared that example. Cause I think so many women are dealing with that and they have no idea. They still think 
I, 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 they still think that there's some way that if they just make the right effort, that they can, that they can achieve their goal of meeting, of pleasing their spouse. And it's just, yeah. that's not even the point at all. So how many, how many years exact, how many years were you married in total? In total 33. Okay. I am actually still married, um, but I'm in the process. I'm kind of getting to the end of the process. But I just remember this was one of the hardest things to accept um, was that it, that he was creating that. Um, I also made a lot of excuses for his behaviors. I bought into his, he's just tired. His job is so stressful. He had a bad childhood, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, something I realize is, I'm tired. My job is stressful. I had a terrible childhood. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't treat people like that. But yeah. I never really compared myself because I was just very busy blaming myself. Yeah. And the book, How He Gets Into Her Head, that was a total game changer for me. Um, mm -hmm. And it really helped to start overcoming that brainwashing. That was a really good book. That's by, for those of you who are listening, it's by, oh gosh, Don, Don Hennessy. Don Hennessy. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, so when, so 33 years, when did you start realizing, okay, this is actually, you know, when, when could you actually say to yourself, I would use the word abuse for what I, what I'm going through. And then, and then when did you realize, I really think I need to get out of this relationship? Okay. Well, those were really far apart. Unfortunately, um, we had been married about 22 years and I would say that there was a pivotal moment. I won't share that right now. Um, it was very, um, very demeaning and very, um, you know, one of those is just in your, in your mind. <laughs> um, but I, I had returned to work by then. Uh, at, at year 22, sometime in between there, I had returned to work. So there really were two things that were happening at once. Uh, the abuse after 22 years was really taking a huge toll on me, physically, emotionally, mentally. Although he wasn't physical, our, I was afraid of him. Our three kids were afraid of him. We all just kind of avoided him, which is easy when you're the kid, but not when you're the wife that's sleeping with him, right? Yeah. <laughs> So avoiding isn't a good long-term, you know, solution. Um, but it was, to me, it was a lot like being in a cage with a tiger. I would put the kids behind me and I stroked the tiger as best that I could. Hmm. Um, but after 22 years, I was really deteriorating and that scared me. I knew that I just couldn't continue, but I honestly had no idea what to do about it. The second thing that was happening is being back at work. <clears throat> I began to notice that I didn't have any problems in any other relationships. I was a teacher at that time. I was responsible for relationships with hundreds of kids, parents, coworkers, and I was well-respected. I was successful. I had lots of long-term successful friendships. It just started making me realize, hmm, maybe this isn't just me which later morphed into, it isn't me at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. But it was also the time I went to my church counselors for help. Um, I did that for years. It was gut-wrenching. They were so incompetent. Mm -hmm. They weren't equipped to deal with domestic abuse. But, you know, Natalie, instead of just admitting 
and, and saying, you know, I, this is over my head, uh, uh, referring me to someone who mm-hmm. is competent. They just mm-hmm. continue to feed me the party line, you know, try harder. What are you doing to add to the problem? We're all mm-hmm. sinners. Marriage is hard, blah, blah, blah. And they're basically, what they're doing is echoing all the crap I read in all those how to have a great marriage book over yeah. the years. And the books don't do anything but reiterate what your abuser's already saying, that you're yep. a failure because you can't seem to make this marriage work. So I would say that part of it was the worst part of, of the whole journey. It just really rocked my spiritual world. <laughs> wow. um, I read Henry Cloud's Boundaries book about that time. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is different than what the counselors are telling me. And that helped me to start just overcoming some fears and making my first uh, very lame attempts at sticking up for myself. (laughs) But What happened happened when you did that? When you started sticking up for yourself, what was the the response? Yeah, so it was bad. Um, I mean, he'd had control, pretty much unquestioned control for 22 years. And, um, so, you know, the least little bit of questioning and and I was making sense because Henry Cloud's book gave me the verbiage to be able to put into words, the ridiculousness of what he was doing. And, and that made him very angry. I wasn't anywhere close to the point where I could just let him be wrong and walk away. I was for many more years to come still under the impression that I could get him to understand what he was doing and then he would stop doing it. Yeah. So I at least kind of got started with that. Um, but he would try every trick in the book. Uh, you know, he of course started out with anger cause that's all his go-to, but when anger started losing its power, he was kind of forced to switch, uh, to other tactics and, and I think, I mean, my, my theory is that they are going to use whatever tactic is the least amount of effort on their part and has the desired outcome. So mine was a rager, but he had me and our kids so compliant that it was just kind of his go-to. He didn't have to expend a lot of energy. Sometimes it was just seeing his face being mad and, and we were all scrambling to do, do what we could. But once that tactic didn't work, then he had to try to find other tactics, you know, to get that control back. So it was really bad during those, those years when I was trying all that. Um, I, I started moving into another room for a few days. So now we're depriving him of sex. So that was a huge, huge thing because he must be bolstered as a hero at all times. And me moving into another room was definitely not calling him a hero. Um, (laughs) But I really had to do that just out of sheer survival. Um, and, And that was the best thing I could have done. It was incredibly healing. So what, what year was that? Uh So this, this was all within, uh, I mean, all of that was happening. Um, I mean, it took me years of moving into another room several times. Um, so this is all moving up until a little bit more recently, probably to year, you know, 27, 28, 
where I was, I was good by then, you know, I was strong. I, I knew how to, um, combat, if you will, his, his, uh, craziness, but I still wasn't to the point where I was even contemplating divorce. That just didn't enter the picture because I was still locked into all of the lies that I'd been taught about how God sees divorce and, and it would have been just another failure to add to all the other failures, you know, I felt that I had done. So, you know, all the same reasons. Um, but his wanting sex an hour after he raged at me, that was really a, a tipping point for me. It was just taking such an emotional and spiritual toll. And I just didn't realize it. So moving into the other room had a lot of benefits. Um, and, and when his tactics would change, cause, cause now, you know, sex is in the picture and he can't let that happen. He would change up tactics and change tactics for a rager. Um, when they're not raging near as much anymore, that looks like change. So I'm like, wow, he's really changing. Um, he also started apologizing, which I had not heard that for 25 years. I'd heard no apologies at all. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wow, he's not yelling and he's apologizing. So it just looks so different to me. And it puts such hope in my heart. And, you know, but as I read more and as the apology, as the, um, the behaviors would go right back to the demeaning, controlling behaviors, you know, after the, after the sorries. And so I call them faux apologies now, but it was a lot of love bombing. Um, his fake apologies really sucked me in a lot of times for several more years. I mean, you know, he reads that big Bible and takes us to church and talks about Jesus all the time. So he must be sincerely sorry. And who am I to judge? And, you know, just all of that stuff. But anyway, by that time, I'd, I had actually sat down and typed domestic abuse on my computer. And that's when all the information came out. And I love to read. So I would literally come home from work pretty much for two years straight. I'd feed the kids. I'd go to my separate room if I happened to be separated at that time. And I would just read, you know, for three and four hours straight every night. And every article was a piece of the puzzle. Um, I started out with uh, Leslie Vernick and I, you know, I got a lot of great stuff from her, uh, but I eventually kind of outgrew her is the best way I can describe it, uh, where I was, um, not just knowledge wise, but deeper into the tactics, um, I went, uh, there were other things. That's kind of when you came along and, uh, crying out for justice. I had found that website and was just really getting uh, a massive education on narcissism narcissism, abuse, and, and all of those tactics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, each time I separated, um, I did it for a little bit longer over those years, and I became a little bit stronger each time. And what I always like to say is I was a mouse, and now I'm a lion, and he should have mm-hmm. been nicer when I was a mouse. <laughs> That's right. You are a lion, too. Because when I even when I met you, you're, you are larger than life. You're colorful, you're vibrant, you're full of energy. You're like 
uh, um, at that conference that I just did, you probably remember when I was talking about, you know, Kansas, uh, going from Wizard of Oz, the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, Kansas environment <laughs> yes. to the, the Oz. Okay. Yes. You're like you've gone from Kansas to Oz and you definitely belong in Oz. So you're a colorful character. You're amazing. And a yes, powerhouse too. And you're also extremely articulate and extremely intelligent. So, thank um, you. I just... I just wanted you to know that and that, and the listeners to know that as well, that that I've seen that in you. So I'm wondering, um, and also too, just for the sake of the listeners, notice how she has, she was able to get stronger even in the relationship. So if Mm -hmm. you are someone listening and you're thinking, well, I'm not ready to, I'm not going to just divorce my husband. I mean, I don't even, I, nobody would expect you to ever do that. You need Mm -hmm. to, you can, you can actually get stronger and you can go on your own journey. You don't have to get divorced. Now you Mm -hmm. may come to the end of your journey a few years down the road and decide that that's what you want to do. But this is a process. It's a long process and it's extremely involved and you, but you can absolutely become, go back to the, not go back to the person, but go to your roots of who God created you to be deep down inside, how God wired you. And you can become that person. Like Debbie Mm -hmm. has become the person that she was all along. She's finally become that person. And she's still, for some reason, I thought you were divorced already, but she's still married, you know, although she's on her way out. So let's actually go into that a little bit. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith in destructive relationships called Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, a Christian woman's guide to hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. You can read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. And new for 2020, I've created a companion workbook for Is It Me? also available on Amazon. This workbook is like 11 power-packed therapy sessions to help you process through the important material you'll be learning from my book. These books are recommended by counselors and therapists all over the United States. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first chapter of my book and the first chapter of my companion workbook for free when you hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those two resources are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. And now let's get back to our episode. Tell me. So um, before, I'm I'm sorry, Nell, I want to interrupt you because you had brought up Oz and something I wanted to share that was really impactful for me is Uh, the fear aspect, because I totally get that there are women in truly dangerous situations. So this is not for them. But what I came to realize and what after talking with so many women over the years, I, I believe that the majority of us would fall into this category that if you remember in the movie, um, Dorothy went in and she finally met Oz and he was huge and scary and creepy and, and, and very dangerous looking and sounding. And they were all quaking in their shoes and they ran to do his bidding. Um, and then when she came back and she, she pulled the curtain back, she saw that tiny little man who was using the microphone and the, the, uh, his little 
levers and stuff. And so the reality of him was this tiny little man behind the curtain, whereas the false was this really scary. And, and that had a huge impact for me. I looked back and I realized that even though he was a rager and even though he was very scary, he was using that to control. It wasn't so much that he was actually a dangerous person, but you know, you don't know that. So it was a really slow process for me. Uh, so I'm, I'm addressing people who have so much fear because I can tell you, I had so much fear. I was just yeah. afraid of him all the time. Yeah. And looking back on it now, I see that a lot of my fear was unwarranted because he was just this little man behind the curtain. So I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, I love that. Well, and for me, a lot of my fear was just fear of what he thought about me. Yes. You know? Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I, yeah. And when you finally think well of yourself and you know who you are, and, and then they think, and then you know, you obviously know that they do not think well of you and they never will. It's like, yeah. Who cares? You're just a little slimy man. I mean, yes. why do I care what you think about me? You know, right, yeah. right, a hundred percent. That is the key. Is when you get to the point where you see value in yourself, and you're not going to take this one person, even if you're married to them, you're not going to take this one person's viewpoint of you at, as the as gospel because it's false. It's all a lie anyway. Right. right. Okay. Can you think of anything? Well, I'm sure you can. Were, were there any really bad things that happened to you because you decided to divorce him or get out? Mm -hmm. So a couple things, um, you know, like you had mentioned, I did do a lot of growth in while I was with him. Um, but part of that growth was also, I did separate outside of the house, um, a couple of times, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, blessed to have friends. My kids I think my oldest was already out of the house and married and my boys could drive by that time. So they were autonomous and they could come to me whenever they wanted. So I didn't feel like I was abandoning them. They were able to kind of hold their own at that point. Yeah. So, so I did do a lot of growth. Um, so it was a really long and slow road for me, uh, to get to that place where I knew that I needed to get out, out. Um, but I did have a lot of my ducks in a row. I had already gotten a secret account that he didn't know about. I really wasn't putting much in it because we had a shared one and my paycheck went into that shared one. Uh, but still, I was getting prepared for that. Any extra money I was putting into that. Um, I did have a teaching job. I could support myself. So I, I do feel for you know, a lot of our homeschool moms, my daughter's a homeschooler and that, you know, that's just tough. That's mm -hmm. part of the piece that I didn't have to deal with because I was able to support myself. I mean, not well, but well enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did do a lot of healing and growing when, when I was actually with him, but I did finally buy a fifth wheel in July of 2017 and moved into that. I lived there for a year. I was still close to my house, close to my work. I didn't, wasn't ready for my life to be super disrupted. I also went home on the weekends. Um, we had a, uh, um, 
you know, he was really docile by then most of the time because he was trying to win me back. And so I would do laundry there. I'd cook for my boys and, and we would have an amicable relationship, but I didn't chat with him. I didn't pray with him. There was no communication like that. I just wasn't rude. I mean, I was respectful to him as a person. I wasn't there to fight with him. Um, and he seemed okay with letting that happen. You know, he was trying to suck me back in is what he was mm -hmm. trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went home on the weekends and I, to be honest, I was still hoping that he was going to get the help, make the changes. I really, really didn't want to get a divorce. I mean, you know, I'm in my late fifties, that's my home, everything I've ever known. and I just desperately wanted it to work. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't willing to, to kill myself to get there anymore. Um, but after that year, I'd been getting some great counseling. Um, my counselor had actually started out seeing my husband for several months. He found her and he was going to her for several months. After she met me, Natalie, get this, she saw that I was so totally different from what his narrative was she refused to see him anymore and started seeing me. Isn't that crazy? That is incredible. <laughs> she, she said she couldn't believe how good he was at manipulation and that she had experienced herself, how these people operate. I think she, I think she went up a notch in her own professional life yep. <clears throat> with our little case here. Anyway, I was diagnosed with uh, CPTSD at the time and I worked with her uh, to alleviate some of those symptoms. I still have a few triggers, but I'm actually doing very well. I'm, I feel very stable emotionally most of the time. Uh, I'd say that my biggest challenge during that time uh, of leaving was uh, in my mind, the brainwashing, uh, the struggle with believing he does this on purpose to control me and make me feel inferior. Uh, I was really mad at God. I was mad at all those, you know, those crappy Christians that didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Mm -hmm. I was really angry. So I went through the ugly crying, angry stage for two solid years. And to be honest, Natalie, that is one of the reasons I moved into the trailer. I recognized that I had a lot of emotion that I needed to get out. And I really didn't think it was the right thing to, to just dump that on him. Now, some people might be, oh yeah, he deserves that. I'm not saying he doesn't, but that's not the way that I'm going to handle uh, purging myself of those emotions. So mm -hmm. the trailer was really a godsend for me because I was able to just feel what I was feeling. Uh, and really, I did that for two solid years. I was pissed for two solid years. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> but you did your work, that, Debbie, you did your work. You yeah. did. That's why you are at where you are today. Yes. No, I totally agree. And I'm such an avid proponent that you have got to feel those emotions. They're there. They're not going anywhere until you feel them. And it's fear and it's uh, what we're conditioned with in our society as women is that we're not allowed to have these really strong emotions. And if we do, there's something wrong with us or we get called the B word or whatever. But those emotions were squelched in me for three decades. Mm -hmm. So it was, I'm talking ugly when it came out. It, it's like 
barfing a volcano. It really mm-hmm. is. It's really mm-hmm. ugly. And I didn't necessarily need to do that with somebody else present, uh, or with him present. Um, I was just kind of able to do that on my own. Mm-hmm. But another thing that was happening at that time was I was becoming re-educated uh, about what God's word really says about divorce and how he sees me and his purpose for divorce being to protect me and, and give me an option so that I'm not a, a, a miss, you know, an abused slave for the rest of my life. Um, so I'd say by the time I filed in June of 2018, so that's when I filed for divorce, I was ready. I, I didn't have very few doubts. I knew what had to be done. I mean, 32 years at that point, that was way beyond you need to just try harder. <laughs> you know, I think I've been doing that exactly. for a while. So Exactly. So where are you at today? And do you have any regrets looking back? Do you wish you'd done anything different? Or do you feel like eh, it kind of had to go the way it did? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm starting to rebuild my life here in Dallas. I've been here for 18 months. Um, that first year was really hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I lost everything. Um, I went from this beautiful home that I raised my kids in on six acres. I designed that house. I actually Mm -hmm. helped build it. (laughs) And I, I moved to a trailer on an asphalt postage stamp (laughs) in a city that I'd never been to before, literally. Mm -hmm. But the only thing I regret is not doing it sooner. And I know that sounds like a a dichotomy, but it's true. Um, I regret not realizing sooner uh, the, the depth of the dysfunction. I just, you know, it was deep. It was deep dysfunction. And I wasn't... Something that I like to say a lot is that the aggressor sets the rules and that's in anything that's in war, that's in communication, that's in relationships that the aggressor is the one that sets the rules. So whenever I see a bumper sticker and it says, you know, can't we just all get along? Yeah, that'd be great. Except the aggressor sets the rules. (laughs) And so it doesn't matter that you want to get along. It's what the aggressor wants and you have to meet the aggressor where they are yes. or, or you're going to get crushed every time. So, you know, my husband was bringing a cannon, a bomb to every, you know, communication and, and I'm bringing a feather yep. and, and then wondering, you know, why, why am I not getting anywhere here? <laughs> yep. But anyway, that that's, that's the best thing I can say about that is the dysfunction is very deep and you have to meet it where they are. And most of us are so beaten down by the time we're recognizing it that we, we only have feathers. Like that's all we have. Right. Um, but, but eventually, you know, you move to knives and you move to guns and then you move to, (laughs) you know, to a cannon or whatever. And you start establishing those boundaries. And, and for me, Natalie, divorce was a ba- was a boundary I was forced to to do mm-hmm. because all of the other boundaries that I had used were not having the effect. 
Like if he had stopped being abusive any way along the line, we would still be married. Yeah. But, but he didn't. And he didn't even after I moved out and he didn't after. And finally I'm like, you know, the only thing I'm gaining by living in this trailer, not being divorced, or I'm sorry, the only thing I'm not gaining anything. If I were divorced, my life would be exactly like it is now. I'm living in a trailer. I'm supporting myself, except my finances would be a lot more equitable. And so when that, when I finally realized that I'm like, okay, there's no reason not to file because I'm not gaining anything by not filing. Right. You're not legally protected. I, I, I hate it that churches are all for, you know, the, well, I, I shouldn't say they're all for, but they'll compromise and say, oh, you know, it's okay if you are separated from your abuser for the rest of your life, but they will not, they will not support a target, a, an abuse target for getting, if she gets legal, uh, legal protection through a divorce, which is what a divorce does. It, it protects you legally from being taken advantage of by an abusive person in, yeah. in a, in a life-saving divorce, as Gretchen Baskerville would say. Right. So, so um, plus, well, the church is only interested in their statistics, how, how many marriages have survived in our church? I'm, I'm sure a lot of them have, but, but are they quality relationships where one person isn't being systematically destroyed? <laughs> exactly. And I think I would argue too, that there's a problem with our definition of what marriage is. Is marriage just a contract between two people? So you know, you, I mean, if that's the case, then why do we not have child brides? Well, there are some people who do, but I mean, you know, then you could be able to, um, if that's all that marriage is, it's just, well, you have got a contract, you made a vow before God. And so that's your marriage. That's not marriage. Marriage, the way God designed marriage is, is so much more than just a piece of paper yes. between two people and yes. Christian marriage for, for certain sure. But, you know, we don't, I think our definition of marriage is completely skewed and, mm-hmm. and our understanding of what separation and divorce is, according yes. to the Bible, is completely inaccurate and it taught all wrong. And yet so many people refuse to go back to the drawing board and learn it, uh, what's, you know, what it really says about these things, because we just, you know, we just believe what someone taught us what someone in our denomination taught us because they taught and then they're only teaching us what they learned from someone else in their, you know, from their seminary in in their particular denomination. It's, it's really, it's kind of mind blowing when you think about how we've all been manipulated and sold a bunch of lies. So. Yeah. And there's a lot of great information out there now that will help women to combat those lies. They just, there's a lot of great. And your talk in Hearst, oh my gosh, that was one of the best. I mean, I'm hoping you're going to do a whole podcast just with that section you were talking about, about spiritual, you know, renewal. And uh, I mean, I took notes furiously. That was amazing information. I think, I think that actually, was that the very first talk by any chance? Uh, no, this was on Saturday. Okay. Well, I am kind of leaking different things out from those talks in, in the, through the podcast. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see, we'll see. And actually, yeah, it's interesting because I, I've thought about doing more 
in the faith area because people are really struggling in their faith and they're also really struggling in their parenting. And I've decided to kind of focus on parenting now. So you'll probably see some podcasts on parenting and some uh-huh. po- and some articles on parenting. You're kind of out of that stage now, but there's so many women who are just like, because you're traumatized, your kids are traumatized. Yes. And, and how do you even begin to parent when you have yourself probably not been parented well? <clears throat> and everything you've learned about parenting is completely, you know, bad. So I don't know. And then, you know, plus the way the abusive partner's parenting is also not healthy. It's, it's, yeah. just, it's a mess. Okay, let's close with one thing. Okay. And okay. We're going to end it. Um, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's contemplating or thinking about leaving for good? Mm-hmm. So from, from my own experience, um, this was really helpful for me. When you make the decision to leave, Understand that just because things seem ugly and difficult, that doesn't mean that you're making a wrong decision. We're so trained with this false idea that as long as we're following God, everything's going to look and sound and smell really wonderful, that when things aren't that way, in fact, when they're the opposite, when they're very ugly and difficult, we have a tendency to think God must not be pleased. Um, but that that's a lie. There's, I mean, that's a lie. So it is going to be difficult and it is going to be ugly, but it doesn't mean that you're making the wrong decision. I kind of look at it like this, uh, digging out of a deep hole, uh, it's way harder. So you're digging out of the deep hole. That's way harder than standing in it and having dirt slowly thrown on you, which is basically what happened to me over the years. I'm in a deep hole. I don't realize it. And dirt is slowly being thrown on me until I'm encapsulated in it. If I want to get out of that, I, it's going to be a lot of difficult, messy, dirty work. But getting out of it is the most important work you're ever going to do. Um, it's an effort that's going to impact you for the rest of your life in a positive way. So I just say be brave. Um, let, let us, let Natalie... Let us support you. You're not always going to feel this way. I promise. Um, and, and Natalie and our group are here to help you in any way we can. Yeah, that was a phenomenal analogy. I absolutely love that. I'm going to remember that and offer that to people in the future. Debbie, I just cannot tell you how grateful I am for your coming on here. You have shared, like, this is this is pure gold. I'm super excited to get this out to people. I think it's going to be so encouraging, not just your story, but the wisdom and the insight that you have gleaned, that you shared in this one episode is is fantastic. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can, Natalie. I really appreciate it. All right. And the rest of you, until next time, fly free.